You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. God, would you quiet us and still us in the end of this year? Let us not be caught up in fear or anxiety about what lies ahead. Help us that we not see ourselves on the end of some kind of cliff about to fall over, but rather we see ourselves in your arms being carried by you under your divine protection. Help us to understand, Lord, that our lives are are not dictated by the circumstances around us. We're not ruled by what is going on. Uh, we are we are under your authority. And so I ask you today that you let the word come alive in us, that you let the word begin to settle us and anchor us and center us on Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as you do that, help us to grow strong. Help us to be very purposeful and very intentional. Help us, God, that we will align ourselves with the truth of your word and live these lives out according to those truths and that our lives will indeed, as we always pray, glorify you and honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to talk this morning about this idea of this king that Pastor Dave talked about with you. And I want to use two passages of Scripture. So I'd like to read those to you first. And then I'm going to talk to you about God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. All right, this is an Old Testament passage and is a prophetic word, okay? Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Verse 11. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? And verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking in the Old Testament. He gives this prophecy under the reign of Ahaz and he says, this child is going to be born of a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel. Let's fast forward way over into the New Testament and let's look at Matthew chapter 1 and we'll begin reading at verse 18 and go through 23. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Someone once said that if you could convince a man or woman, whoever, that there is no hope, 
that that individual would literally curse the day they were born. It's practically impossible to live without hope. Now, I've sat with some of you and you've shared with me in tears your struggle when you have felt somewhat hopeless or you have felt that, that hope was washed away for you and you just didn't know what to do or how to, how to go beyond that moment. So you see, for, for humans, for all of us, I think, hope is an important, important part of our lives. It's something that is very necessary to us to be able to function and to be able to, to go forward. There's a story told, there's records of it, it's a true story, um, of a submarine it rammed uh, a, another ship, and uh, the submarine itself was, was cracked, and so it sank to the bottom of the ocean. The entire crew was trapped. They were inside the submarine, of course. They couldn't get out. They're at the bottom of the ocean. There are many, many boats rushing to this particular disaster. No one really knew what the submarine crew was going through, you know, when they're, they're down there on the bottom, and they don't know what they're doing and what's going on outside of them. Uh, but as the story is told, it says that these men in this submarine uh, were very brave men and they clung to, to the little bit of oxygen that was, was growing smaller and smaller and smaller as these other boats are coming and divers are diving there trying to rescue them. And they were clinging to this until it literally began to, to give out. And one of the divers who was at the center of the rescue who, who shared some of this information, when he swam down, he, he actually put his ear to the submarine to see if he could hear anything inside of the submarine and he said that as he listened he heard this tapping noise and so he began to understand that someone inside the, the, the submarine was tapping in Morse code all right and here's here's the message that they were tapping it was actually a question and the question was this is there any hope is there any hope now, here's the amazing thing for me, it is that I've actually heard this same question recently as people are dialoguing and they're talking back and forth about our economic situation and our political division and this fiscal cliff that we're all supposed to fall off of tomorrow night at, at, at midnight. And, and I think that this is some kind of cry that is that is in the, in the deep of a lot of people, is, is, is there hope? Is, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? What's going on? People need to know that there's something that they can live for. There's some kind of hope that is inside of them that, that works in them and causes them to have a longing to live beyond today. And I think in different circumstances and in different situations, uh, we, we may be able to honestly confess that we have thought the same question or we have asked the same question, if not to someone, to ourself or in some way to God. Scripture tells us, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put their hope in God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, While we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And King David, on probably one of the worst days of his entire life, when everyone had forsaken him and they were contemplating stoning him and, and, and he didn't have his family or anything, 
He makes this confession in a moment of self-talk. Why? Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. In in his worst moment, he understands that he's, he's got nowhere else to turn but to God. But he's got to do something in the process. He is the, the catalytic converter, if you will, through some good, healthy self-talk. And he encourages himself and he says, Hey, why am I so downcast? I must put my hope in God. There's nowhere else for me to turn. I need to go to God. So I just I picked three scriptures out of a plethora of scriptures in, in the Old and the New Testament that speak to this idea of hope. This idea that, that we cannot put our hope in anything else in this earth. We must put our hope in God. That that hope that we have, that we hold to, that we carry, it really is the blessed hope which is Jesus our Lord. And so we not only put our hope in Him, but we look to Him as the hope that He is coming again, that He will come again according to His promise. And in the meantime, we understand that we live just as King David did by example. We take and apply that to our own lives and we say, you know what? In the worst day, in the worst hour of my life, it is imperative that I begin to understand myself and my circumstances and my God. And there I speak to myself and encourage myself because on that day, probably no one else is going to encourage you. You're going to look around and all you're going to find are the friends of Job. And in that moment, you have to say, you know what? I got to take care of this. I put my hope in God. And so I want to challenge you and I that we live that way today. All right? There's a, there's a, a, a cemetery in London that I would like to describe to you. Now, you may think, oh, I don't like it when you talk about things like cemeteries. Not everyone is fond of cemeteries like, like Corey and Kier are. Uh, you know, but, but some of you, you know, I, I walk through, I think walking through old cemeteries is just, it is a treat. <laughs> I think that was an affirmation. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I really enjoy looking at old headstones and, and just, you know, thinking about the history. Well, there is, there is a, a cemetery in London, London and it's called uh, Bunhill Fields. And it's a very interesting cemetery, if you are interested in cemeteries. Uh, it's a place where many famous people are buried. Um, Charles Wesley is buried there. Um, Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, is buried there. Daniel Defoe. Uh, you'll know he's the author of Robinson Crusoe. He is buried in this same cemetery. And there are many other famous people there. All right? Opposite of the graveyard there, uh, there's, there's a chapel. It's the chapel of John Wesley. And there's a statue erected to him right there. Now, right across the street from the cemetery is John Wesley's house. And uh, March 2nd, 1791, John Wesley opened his eyes and he made an exclamation. It was the last moments before he died. He was on his deathbed in that house, okay? And he would be buried in that cemetery uh, shortly thereafter. But the last words he spoke that came out of his mouth, he exclaimed, in a, in a, it's like he, he had a last moment of life and it, it was a surge. And he, he exclaims, uh, the writers say, and he said these words. He said, the best of all is this, God is with us. Not, I'm going to God. Not, you all better behave yourselves. Don't you all commit immoral acts. 
don't you do this and don't you do that and you better get this right and you better get that right and the whole world's going to hell and alas, it's hopeless. No. This is what I've got to say to you. God is with us. Emmanuel. He got it. And of all the things he could have chosen to say, that's what he wanted to remind his family. Hey, God is with us. That's the last thing I leave with you, is God is with us. Let's talk for a few moments about Emmanuel. God with us. God come to dwell in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to I look at it from maybe three perspectives as we go through this, this rather quickly here this morning. And that is this. First of all, let's go back to this passage in Isaiah. Let's look at it through the prophet's eyes for just a minute. What did Emmanuel mean to Isaiah uh, in particular? As we read this chapter, um, we, we see Isaiah here. He's speaking to the king of Judah, King Ahaz. And the truth of the matter is, if you study King Ahaz, he's not a very good man. He's actually quite an evil man. And at this particular time in history that we read this passage that I brought to you today, the Assyrian Empire, uh, which is one of the superpowers of its day, was increasing in its influence and in its power. And because of that, Syria and Israel, they wanted to form this kind of coalition and they wanted to bring Judah, uh, the land that, that Ahaz ruled over, they wanted to bring this all together so that they could be like a united front against the Assyrians, all right? And so they made this proposition to King Ahaz that they would all do this together and he wavered. He was going back to and fro and he didn't, he didn't know what to do and so because of his hesitation then, Syria and Israel, they kind of turned against him and so they decided that they were just going to to go after him, and they were going to, to, to punish him, mainly because of his lukewarmness, I think. So they were going to remove him. They were going to put another king on the throne, and it would be someone, he would be kind of like a puppet king, see? So if they could get rid of Ahaz, and they could put this puppet king on the throne, then they could, could convince that puppet king to do what they wanted, and they would get their way. So it was the idea was, we're just going to get rid of this guy, okay? Now, he hears about this. He gets word of this, and so uh, he, get, he start, the Bible says in this passage, if you read above where I read, it says that he trembled, he shook. And, and the description is that he shook like the trees shake before the wind. All right? I mean, he is upset. He is devastated. He knows that these are, are, are powers to, to reckon with and to deal with. And so he's very afraid. And so Isaiah comes to him. All right? They send Isaiah and Isaiah comes to Ahaz to comfort him, to try to, to help him. All right? And so the prophet comes and he says, look, if you only trust in God, Ahaz. All right? If you'd only put your faith in God, if you, if you give everything into His hands, then you'll be all right. There's an interesting little note here that I think a lot of people miss. God says, when He speaks to the prophet, He says, now you're to go to Ahaz and you're to talk to him. Now, what I want you to, I want you to go. But now, listen, take your son along. And nobody ever talks about this. This is odd. Why does God say, take your little guy along with you to present this prophetic word to this evil king? I mean, my little, my little baby boy would be the last person I would want to take along if I'm going to stand before an evil king. All right? But that's what God tells him. You, you go back and, and, and you study that and, and you read that, okay? So, he, he's standing before Ahaz and, and he, is, he is talking to him. He says, 
He says, not, now, here, here's what's going to happen. You need to understand that these guys, are, they're just smoldering. In other words, their, their reign, their authority is short-lived. That's what he's trying to say to him. And he says, before the, he gives this, this prophetic word about the, 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 the Christ child and, and calling him Emmanuel, God coming to be with us. He's, he's sharing this. And at the same time he's doing this, you get the picture, he's holding his little guy. And what he says is, you know, before the baby can, can take honey and, and, and butter. Now, you've got to understand that, that Israelite children were nursed for quite a long time. And when they were able, one of the first things they were given besides breast milk would be honey, the taste of honey. Now, they would be older. They wouldn't be little tiny babies. They would have breastfed for a season of time. But this would be one of the things that they would start to give them outside of breast milk would be honey, all right? But, but it's a short period of time relative to their lifetime, their lifespan. And he's saying here, before this baby takes honey and, and, and buttered butter or, you know, clotted milk or whatever, it's all over. This, this whole issue isn't going to, it, it's going to be taken care of. And what he's saying is, is and, and this, this is what I want you to get from this, Ahab, you don't need to be so fretful. You need to trust me in my time. If you trust me in my time, things get taken care of. If you trust me, if you believe in me, if you hold on to me, if you'll just hang with me, Ahaz, and not with these other guys, you're going to be all right. And what does Ahaz do? He goes out and makes an allegiance or a covenant, if you will, of sorts, with the Assyrians. What he's saying is, you know what? I just can't trust God. I got, you know, I just need to trust a man. I, I need to trust the strength and the power of men. I need, to, I need to have some tangible thing I can put my hands on that I can trust. And folks, that is so wrong. That is so messed up and so skewed and so inverted for you and I. Just as the rich man cannot trust in his own wealth, you and I cannot trust in other men and the things around us. Ultimately, as David understood, our only hope is in God. So he tries to calm him down. Ahaz doesn't go along with it. In all of his pride and his stubbornness, he refuses. He goes his own way. Here's what he did, folks. That man trusted in his own wisdom. He sat down and he evaluated and he looked at the situation and said, you know what? I think I know what's best here. It will get you in trouble every time. It will bite you in your butt. Excuse me. When we trust in the wisdom of man, when we trust in the things of man and the things of this world, we will come to ruin, folks. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to hear the voice of God. At the end of the day, we need to hear what God is saying to us, and we need to obey that. Here's the beauty of this. God's making a promise, and He makes it to Ahaz. And even though Ahaz doesn't, come along and, and open up and agree and conform 
and obey and follow God, God does not withdraw the promise. And the promise is that there is a child that will be born to a virgin. And he will be called Emmanuel. And when he is, he will be the savior of the people. He will be the one who delivers. And he says, he says to Ahaz, ask God, about, ask God for a sign. God will give you a sign about this thing. You ask, you ask for a sign that, that's, that's higher than the heights of heaven or lower than the depths of Sheol. And this proud and arrogant man says, I wouldn't tempt God that way. I'm not tempting God. You tempt God when you ask for a sign because of unbelief and God hasn't promised that he'd give you a sign. That's tempting God. God speaks through the prophet and says, I got a sign for you. I don't know what it is, but I got a sign. Just ask. I'll show you. I will give you a sign. I will show you. Nope. What he's saying is, I don't want your sign. In other words, his heart was already made up. But God was faithful. God was faithful to the remnant of those people in the nation of Judah who were fearful of him. And he says, I'm going to send this child. I'm going to send this baby. Whether Ahaz fails me or not, a child will be born. A virgin will conceive. His name will be called Emmanuel. Here's the thing. In all the trial and the tribulation, all the, all the pressure that the nation of Judah faced, even though their king had betrayed them, even though their, their king buckled under the pressure of human men and kings and politicians and political agendas of the day, God remained faithful to his people. You can't look at Congress. You can't, you can't look at the House or the Senate. You can't look at our president, our vice president, our secretary of defense. You can't look at someone past or present. You can't expect that you can depend on these people. You can't look at the adversity and the division that is going on in our political system today and expect that you're going to find peace. You can't look at all this stuff. You can't hang on to your economy. You can't hang on to your investments. You can't hang on to your plans or to your dreams. You better be hanging on to God. Because he's with you. And when all this other stuff can be pulled out from under you, he is still faithful. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus even says in the New Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. For to us, a Child is born, Savior is given. I think that's what it meant to Isaiah was he is, he is our deliverance. He is our hope. He is our refuge. He is our peace. And the amazing thing then is we go from this, this sort of minimalist prophecy. A child is going to be born and it's going to be conceived by a virgin. And then we get some specifics here. His name will be called Emmanuel. But then we go over into Matthew. And as Matthew gives his account, he goes, ah, it's Mary. It's Mary. She's a virgin. She's never been with a man. 
the, the Hebrew that was used over in the, in the Isaiah passage for that particular word, which is only used a few times, maybe like I think maybe eight times in, in the whole of the Bible. Uh, that word, it indicates one who has been protected, one who has been shielded, all right? It, it's, it's, not, it's not like a random thing. It's not like here's this little Mary and she's kind of like skipping along, you know, one day and she's picking flowers out on the hillside and all of a sudden she goes, Woo! My, I am with child of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. There's a prophecy in the days of an evil king when people are not sure of the times in which they're living. And it seems as if though the enemy is coming over them with an onslaught. And in that particular time, in that place, in that dark hour, a prophetic word comes up in the heart of the people through the power of God. And he speaks through his prophet of the day. And he says, a child will be born. And that child will be born to a virgin. His name will be Emmanuel. I'm going to tell you something. I believe that this sovereign and holy God who created heaven and earth, in that moment, he said, it's Mary. I'm not going to tell him, but it's her. And he protected. He protected through the lineage all the way until that time when Mary would be born herself. And he said, ah, there she is. And he watched her grow. And while still a young girl, he said, now's the time. And he comes to her in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what that looked like or sounded like or even felt like to Mary. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't seedy. It was holy. It was holy. And the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived in her physical womb a baby, the man God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God had come down. God had come down out of heaven. And now a deliverer would be born. Hallelujah. That's an amazing, amazing promise fulfilled from the Old Testament. So then Matthew goes on. She's going to bring forth this child and they're going to, they're going to call him Emmanuel and I'm going to interpret that for you. It means God with us. What does that mean in the New Testament? What does that mean to, to Matthew as he shares the story now in much more detail? <clears throat> I love watching artists work. I used to love to, to do some painting and, and drawing myself. I love to watch someone, especially do landscapes. I love landscapes and I love watching people do them. I was driving around yesterday. It was magnificent yesterday in the city and, and I'm sure even more magnificent in the countryside. I'm not what, I mean, when I say that, you got to believe. I'm, we're talking absolutely stunning and brilliant because I hate winter. So for me to have a magnificent day in January is absolutely brilliant, okay? 
Um, but the frost and, you know, was on the trees and everything was white and glistening. And then the sun did peek out some. And when it did, it would just sparkle everywhere. And I was like, oh, man, if you could, just, if you could put that on canvas with a, with a brush, you know. And, and my mind went back to living in Minot, North Dakota for a number of years. And I remember driving out in the country and you would see these little shacks or these little shanties, if you will. And, and I don't know, some people may have lived in some of them, but, but it would be the dead of winter and there would be overcast and there would be so much snow and the trees would just be heavy laden with snow. You know, and, and then you would see these little dark, little like houses, you know, and most of them, I think, were, were, had no inhabitants, okay? Uh, but I saw, oh, how cold, how dark, how dreary, you know. I would paint that picture of Minot. I would paint that picture of winter. That, would, that is exactly how I would see winter, you know. It's just, it's dismal, it's dark. It's just, it's isolated, it's cold, it's intense, it's horrible, it's wretched, it's miserable. But I'm a southerner. That's just how I felt, you know. And if you were in my night, you would feel the same way. I hope Pastor Dave hears this message on the iPod. He's there. He's in that place. But I have looked at canvases in art galleries. And I have seen where people have painted what I just described to you as very dismal. But there's one difference in their paintings most of the time. A few kept it dismal. You know, there's a few melancholy artists out there. But most of them, the difference is they took a little bit of yellow paint or yellow chalk, depending on the medium they were using. And what they did is they went into that window that they had painted on that little house and they went, just a little bit. Just a little bit. But that yellow paint, all of a sudden, it's like, ah, it's light. It's light in the darkness. It's warmth. It's amazing. I mean, it changes everything. Just a little. I'm not minimalizing uh, God here in this analogy. But what I'm saying is, is in the day of Matthew, it's a little bit different than in the day of Isaiah, all right? In that most awful time of the reign of Ahaz, God was faithful in His promise. But from Matthew's perspective, it's like, hey everybody, that, that was talked about back there, boop, it's here. Jesus is born. Light has come. There is no, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. It is in the house. It lights it all up. This Jesus, this Savior that was prophesied, this one that was talked about, He is here. He has come. Emmanuel, God is with us, literally. Wow. Amazing. God is always faithful. Right there. Right there in the midst of the snowstorm, God comes through and boop, there's some light. What is the application for you and I? The application is this. It doesn't matter where you are, when you're there, or how you got there. Emmanuel, God is with you. He has come. You see, He came in the form of this baby. He grew up and He died and He was resurrected that He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, might live inside of you. 
So regardless of where you're at, regardless of the storm you go through, regardless of how dismal it may be, regardless of what kind of corruption is all around you, He is with you. God, Emmanuel, is with you. Whoa! Now that's, that's different. That's, that's a whole different ball game for you and I. We're not living in the shadows of some prophetic promise. We're living on the other side of fulfillment. We're in the light. We're in the light. There was a story told. This kid, little little boy, little boy, he's, he's on this sh- this boat. It's a, it's a bigger boat. It's going across a, a a sea, and it it holds you know a dozen or more people as passengers. Big storm comes up. He's the son of the captain of the ship. He's down below deck. Everyone else is down there but the captain. He's trying to ride out this storm. This kid is sitting on a table. He, 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 he gets up on this table and he sits up on this table and he's holding on to the, the kind of the ledge on the table and he's just sitting there holding it, not gripping it hard, just holding it. And he's, he's, the boat is moving and he's just, he's hanging on. He's just there. And there's this man sitting over there, and he's, a, he's obviously a successful man, a businessman. He had bought a ticket to go across the sea to the other side, and he is beside himself. He is scared. He is nervous. He doesn't know what to do. He is convinced. He has, he has prophesied to himself an absolute doom. We are all going to die. And he looks at this little boy, and in absolute anger, he says to him, how can you just sit there? And the little boy goes, it's easy. I see my dad. He had positioned himself so through the little porthole in the door, he could see his dad steering the ship. He paused and then he said to the man, see, as long as I can see my dad, we're all right. My dad is with me. God, Emmanuel, with us. It is imperative that you and I get our eyes off of what is going on around us. As we go into this new year, I'm pretty convinced. I'm not going to say this is prophetic now, but I'm pretty convinced that some perilous times are ahead of us. I am trying to prepare you as you enter into this new year. I don't want you to go into this new year dismal. I don't want you to go into this new year filled with regrets our fears of what might lie ahead. I don't want you scrambling around, always trying to live in survival mode. I want you to understand that your father is at the helm. Regardless of what you may face and what kind of storms may come your way, your father is in the boat. He came, Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so the question is, can you see your Emmanuel? Can you see in wherever you're at, out of, out of whatever darkness, whatever depression, whatever illness, whatever weariness, whatever pressure, God has sent His Son, Emmanuel. He is testifying that He is with you, that God is for you in doing this. This is the amazing, amazing thing about this. In the city of Milan, there is a picture, a painting. It's an old painting by one of the old masters. And in that painting you see the crown of thorns and you see with it an angel and this angel 
is touching the crown of thorns. Now, follow this. This is so cool. The angel has this look on his face of astonishment. Quizzical kind of astonishment. His finger is, is sort of touching the point of one of the thorns in the crown that Jesus was wearing as he's being crucified. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He's astonished about this thing. And here's why. Angels live in heaven. Angels don't know pain. They don't know sorrow. They don't know affliction. They don't know how to relate to humanity in that respect. They don't hurt. They don't have headaches. They don't have diarrhea. They don't get tired. I, I, I'm being, I, I want you to understand this in, in a very practical way here this morning, all right? They, they don't relate. They don't know. They don't understand it. And so there's this amazement about these thorns because this angel just cannot comprehend pain. Doesn't understand sorrow and sickness. Doesn't even really understand death has never experienced these things. God did not send an angel to come and comfort you. God sent Himself. He came in the form of flesh as a baby, as Jesus. And He suffered pain and He suffered death in order that He may understand the afflictions that you go through. He understood the temptations you go through and the hurts that you go through and the, the abandonment and rejection and all these other things that you and I go through. He understood them because He's Emmanuel. God didn't send a substitute. God didn't send someone else. He came Himself. God with us that he may know your afflictions. That he may understand your sorrows. That he may identify with your sufferings. And now, as the Apostle Paul says, we identify with his. That we may become more like him. I hope you're getting this because this is amazing. This is absolutely outstanding. So what does it mean to you? What, is this, what does this Emmanuel mean to you? He is a God who cares for you. He is a God who understands you. He is a God who loves you. He is a God who is with you. He is a God who forgives you. He is a God who gives you the free gift of salvation. He is the God who has saved you. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. To save you. God came to be with you that He may save you. That He may pull you out of your despair. He may pull you out of the war of this world that is ongoing all the time. That you are wrestling with. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Hero. He is the Conqueror. He is the One that has come that you might have victory. That you might live life full and abundant. He is here. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you don't need to feel alone. There's never a place for being alone. You're never alone. He's here, Emmanuel. 
I and some of my life group and, and my wife went to the Hobbit. I've done a few things I don't like to do this winter. I don't go to movies. I, don't, I really don't like movies, but my life group wanted to go to this movie, so we went to this movie. I loved it. It was in 3D. I remember watching Lord of the Rings and I thought, those orcs are so ugly. Oh my God. That is definitely demonic. You know, I mean, whoever created that probably has actually seen a demon. Because they just, they got it. You know, those orcs are just so nasty. In 3D, they are even more nasty. <laughs> and they just get, yo, they're just coming at you. Yeah. I wasn't fixated on the orcs, okay? I just, that's, it just, it was interesting. But here's the amazing thing. I saw it in Lord of the Rings. I see it in The Hobbit. There are battles. They're, they're, they're just, you know, big battles, epic kinds of battles. And the amazing thing is everybody is looking so intense and they're, they're in such despair and dismay and it seems so hopeless. And then all of a sudden, Gandalf appears. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the wizard comes out, you know. It's like the, the, the savior, the redeemer, the, the, the magic man, the, the hero, the, the rescuer, the whatever. I mean, these are epic stories, and that's the, that's the storyline. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. You're not alone. And when, when it starts to go down, let me tell you something. That's when God arises. The Bible says, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord. The, your God is upon you. Let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. And there weren't a lot of people in the theater when we saw the hobbits. Quite a few people in there. You know, but the thing is, is that when the wizard appeared and did his little thing and used his power, you'd hear two or three people on you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the reason I don't go to movies is because I have a tendency to want to get more into them than other people. Because I wanted to go like, yeah, that's it. Way to go. <laughs> and I need to be subdued. I'm a pastor. But I'll tell you what, when I hear a testimony of something that God has done in someone's life, you know, I get, I get upset when people don't just really get into it and celebrate it. I'm talking to all of you and me, okay? Because I've seen some of you, like, at a ball game or, or in front of you. Not even at the game. You're not even at the game. You're just in front of your TV, for crying out loud. On your sofa. Right? Yeah! You guys want to see intensity? Go sit with Troy Brooks when he watches hockey. Oh! I mean, he's duking it out with them. He's right, he's right in there. Some of you are that way with basketball. Some of you are that way with football and Green Bay Packers. I mean, you even buy the clothing for crying out loud. Oh, my goodness. That, look at that tie. Goodness gracious. You know, we're into it. And then someone comes along and says, I was in despair. I was broken. I was down. It was dark. But God... <laughs> And I want to go, yeah, that's my God. He rises up. He comes to the occasion. He is faithful. He is good because He is Emmanuel. He is God with me.
And I'm not alone. And I want you to understand that today. You are not alone. God, Emmanuel, is with you. Let's stand. I'm just going to really trust the Holy Spirit that uh, he spoke to you through Pastor Bill today, a new revelation of who Jesus is, uh, God with us. Um, for those of you that know him as your Savior, that trust in Jesus, this, this God that is living inside of you, that is with you for eternity. Uh, I'm going to pray today that that will be uh, just set inside of you, that it will be confirmed inside of you. For those of you that may not have ever made that decision to trust in him completely. Uh, we're going to pray that you make that decision today. And we're going to give you the opportunity to pray with some of our elders. Um, and I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and, and search us today. So if the elders would come up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts of the men and women in this room. God, no matter what their commitment level with you, you know what it is. You know their hearts. So I pray that you would search them. You would draw those that haven't come and knelt before you and, and given their lives to you. I pray that you would draw them today. Show them that little glimmer of light. That hope. the joy that knowing that God is with us in a man, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God. We just praise you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.